it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Word Balloon. This is John Suntress uh, with an important plea for 2023. Uh, you probably read the headlines. Uh, Word Balloon took a sponsorship hit. That was pretty significant, and uh, I'm asking you if you've ever been a fan of Word Balloon and considered uh, making a donation through Patreon, uh, a very uh, meager but important subscription, I hope you'll consider it. Um, It's going to be a challenging 2023, and uh, I need your help. So if you like Word Balloon, if you enjoy the content, I'm not going to slow down and keep bringing you some excellent content, but uh, I could really use your help via Patreon, patreon.com slash word balloon. If you can afford the price of a comic book, if you can even afford a dollar a month, it would be greatly appreciated and uh, help the cause to uh, keep word balloon going at the level and intensity that I've been doing uh, in the last uh, four or five years and uh, bring you a lot more content and uh, a lot of great uh, interviews and interesting things about the pop culture world. Patreon.com slash word balloon. I could really use your help. Thank you for your attention, your time, and listening to Word Balloon. Word Balloon is brought to you by AlexRossArt.com. Alex has been a longtime sponsor of Word Balloon. I greatly appreciate it. you got to go to his website. You will find tremendous art from original work, covers, pages, fantastic lithographs, amazing posters. Every price point is covered, and every subject is covered at AlexRossArt.com. You've enjoyed his iconic looks at DC and Marvel, but also great stuff like his wonderful work on the monkeys, Monty Python, so many other great pop culture things that Alex has put his fingerprints on. His wonderful Flash Gordon poster that evokes the fantastic Dino De Laurentiis, Sam Jones movie. Recently, Alex did things like uh, the timeless Marvel covers featuring great solo shots of all your favorite Marvel heroes and, of course, his Fantastic Four full-circle graphic novel still available. All waiting for you now at alexrossart.com. Welcome back, everybody. Time again for Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here, very happy to welcome. It's Vivian Kleiman, who uh, has uh, made an incredible documentary that is currently running on PBS. I've got a still of the uh, the title. Hang on one second, everybody, and I'll grab it. It's uh, it's called Straight Lines, Story of Queer Comics. And, uh, man, it has turned out just fantastic. It's a, it's a great documentary. Welcome, Vivian. Thank you so much for talking today. Well, thank you for having me, John. It's my pleasure. Well done. I, I think it, as I was telling you off there, and I'm not being nice, uh, this is going to be one of those movies that when people look at the history of comics... Uh, you told the story quite well, and uh, <laughs> and I would never claim to 
know a lot of uh, the beginnings of gay comics, but uh, you certainly did fill in a lot of the blanks. Thank you. Uh, it's it's really been uh, quite a project, and I'm delighted to hear someone like you with your with your expertise uh, recognize that there was a gap that the film uh, will be filling. That's really awesome. You know, I, I had the pleasure of seeing. Uh, Mary Wings and Howard Cruz, a couple of the creators that you focus on, who were really responsible for a lot of the earlier efforts in, in gay comics, uh, speak at, um, well, I want to say either uh, Printer's Row, the Chicago Tribune Book Expo that happens yearly, or maybe it was uh, San Diego or New York, I'm not sure. But uh, it was really great to get even more information about them and others that were early uh, creators all the way up to uh, modern uh, day, I, I saw Cena Grace, who uh, I've had the pleasure of talking to in the past. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, also some others that are uh, our, our current uh, creators that uh, I, I had yet to uh, meet. We'll certainly talk about them. But I'm so glad because we lost Howard Cruz uh, just a couple years ago. And I'm so glad that you got him and his partner and uh, had the opportunity to speak to him at length. Uh, because, uh, you know, again, they're great guy. So, so respected, uh, in the comics community in general, and clearly in the gay comics community as, uh, kind of like a Will Eisner, you know, Will, Will was, uh, considered really one of the, the founding fathers and thankfully, you know, made it well into the two thousands. So a lot of modern creators had the opportunity to meet him, um, and, and be inspired by him, uh, on a one-on-one -on -one basis, not alone through his work, but, uh, yeah, that's that's great. If you don't mind, I'd love to start with uh, the uh, the fact that you did start with Howard. Well, really, before we get into that, shame on me. What <laughs> interest? What made you interested in doing uh, this as a subject? Well, um, as I uh, mentioned to you before we got started officially, uh, uh, my connection with uh, comics was obviously as a kid, you know, clutching <laughs> e either the nicey nicey animal ones, or you know, moving on to you know Superman and Batman and all that terrific Did stuff. You? Did you like uh, superhero comics? That's great. Well, tell me, tell me some titles that you read. Oh, as a kid, I, yeah. you know. Fantastic Four and Superman and, you know, all that delicious stuff up to um, a certain point. And then I got very busy in uh, high school <laughs> preparing, you know, for an academic track, uh, as it were. Uh, not every, This is not everybody's path, but it was mine. And um, uh, I, uh, I didn't get involved in comics again until... Uh, I came out as a lesbian, and there was Alison Bechtel's Dykes to Watch Out For that was serialized in our local uh, feminist newspaper here in the Bay Area. It was called Plexus. Okay. And Alice, I think, if I recall correctly, I don't recall, I, but I think Alison's series came out every other week. And uh, we would just wait with bated breath to find out what happened <laughs> to our to her characters, and um, you know it could range from a bad hair day, um, looking forward to the hot date that night, or at least hot sex, to you know packing as many you know people in a tiny little Volkswagen bug, and booging down from Boston from Boston or New York down to D.C. For, to demonstrate against something that was going on uh, in the political arena that uh, people were protesting about. And um, 
You know, John, I can't tell you what it was like. Uh, I cannot describe the impact of seeing stories of our own lives represented um, in the comics. You know, you were just commenting about, you know, the superheroes or the fuzzy animal comics. And those were really wonderful and exciting. And they fed into a kid's imagination and adults um, who still held on to their imaginations. Um, but in... In Allison's work and then the other work by other uh, queer cartoonists, we saw ourselves and we actually got to hear our own stories being actually represented. And the power of seeing yourself represented in the comics, both the visual and the verbal, uh, is unbelievable for people who have been so traumatized by the whole process of uh, coming out. So uh, that that's really my entree into um uh, comics. And then just to conclude the little anecdote here, um, uh, I wasn't involved in comics until Justin Hall, who is uh, an expert in uh, queer comics in particular, history of queer comics in particular, and himself uh, a cartoonist and teaches um, queer comics, or sorry, teaches uh, comics at the California School for the, what's it called? California College for the Arts, CCA, um, here in the Bay Area. Okay. And uh, Justin had edited the first anthology of queer comics, a very beautiful uh, anthology of some the work of some 70 artists, beautifully reproduced. And in fact, they're going to be reissuing that. It's going to be the 10th anniversary coming up, I think, next year. Hey, um, and yeah, so you can keep your eyes out for that. And Justin had a friend who said, hey, you should make this into a documentary. And uh, Justin was introduced to an, a filmmaker named uh, Greg Sirota. The two of them got started on this endeavor <laughs> and um, didn't seem to be able to get the traction needed to uh, pull it off. Greg and I'd worked together on a few projects. I had hired him to edit some of my work. And uh, when Greg came, came knocking my door asking if I wanted to take over the project, I hesitated because of all the reasons I just described, that I wasn't, my connection with comics, you know, was limited and not contemporary. And he said, no, 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 you're really going to like this story. It's a great story. It's a great way of telling queer history in the U.S. through the comics. Uh, and Justin encouraged me to attend the world's first uh, in-gathering of queer comic book artists. I think it was 2015. Uh, in the wow, summer. I, think was, I think it was June uh, 2005, maybe two, maybe 16, I think it was 15. Okay. And um, it was organized by Jen Camper, who's in the film. Absolutely. And with the help of Justin, there she is, the inimitable yep. Jennifer Camper. And um, uh, it, when I walked into that conference space in New York, uh, it was held at, at the uh, building at Hunter College. Yeah. I was completely overwhelmed by what I saw. You know, my, again, uh, I didn't have much connection with comics, as I've said three times now, <laughs> but I did have, I did uh, work on a project with some guys who had stacks of Zap and all kinds of, all kinds of Robert Crumb stuff all around, you know, the office. So I was very familiar with Mr. Natural and <laughs> a lot of the imagery was quite familiar and some of it uh, not to my taste. Um, and, uh, my expectation was that it would be people who are more like Robert Crumb, 
who uh, were more uh, snarky and um, uh, not so uh, eager to meet new people. And instead, it was a room full of people who were so excited about being together. And in, in the middle of the room, when I walked in this first day, there was this guy with a balding head and a paunched stomach and a crumpled shirt. And he was completely engaged in conversation with a gender non-binary person um, with covered in tats, chartreuse dyed hair, <laughs> uh, many generations, like probably two, at least two generations younger than the dude standing there. They were completely like happy to be talking and certain they were, surrounded by other people, like the whole panoply, the whole arc of the kinds of folks that you that that constitute what it means to be LGBTQ um, were there and happy to be talking with one another. And I went and over the next few days, I heard um, panels, I heard people talk at panels, I saw the I saw the artwork. It ranged from uh, the political stuff, a la Alison Bechtel, to sci-fi, to uh, bondage, to, you know, everything. Every, the whole works. Everything was there. And I went, oh, my goodness. This is a casting director's dream. There's all these amazing storytellers with wonderful stories. It's a different way of thinking about our history. It's a different way of telling our history. Certainly. And... Um, the artwork, my goodness, you know, documentary filmmakers, we're usually scrounging for images to complement our stories. Yeah. And here it was just the opposite. Here was a case of a tsunami of images. <laughs> and how do you how do you choose, you know, one or two or three images to um, complement a story? And I, I knew at that point that this was going to be um, – this was going to be a project that was going to speak to uh, a younger generation. And I wanted to be a part of uh, bringing that story to them. It's, it's so interesting that all these uh, cartoonists, whether they be uh, uh, gay, straight, whatever their orientation is, a lot of them, the new, the new generation sometimes doesn't know the history and it, and it's, and it really, and it's so great to see in your film uh, the response of so many of the younger cartoonists. And wow, I had no idea how far back it went. Uh, that that feeling even of a lot of you, the uh, people that you uh, leaned on to tell the story, when they discovered they weren't the only ones and that were doing this. And it, and, and it, happens, it happens in underground comics, which was the home for gay comics in a lot of ways. I'm so glad, and as I assumed that uh, Howard, uh, I, I didn't know the direct connection between Howard Cruz and Dennis Kitchen. And Dennis has been on the show a couple times and I've had the pleasure of having uh, you know, audiences with him. And he he's such a great guy and, and, and so important. And, and, you know, there's that, as you say, because Crumb is kind of the underground comic that everyone I think, you know, initially thinks of, but he really is just one voice in a sea of many. And actually I just talked to Drew Friedman the wonderful artist, and he just did um, a book of about celebrating underground comics. I don't remember if Howard is in there or Mary is in there. I do know that Trina Robbins, who is spoken about a lot in your in your documentary, is represented. And um, 
you know, but yeah, it's it's just it's great that even back then, as far back as the seventies, there was a place for uh, gay cartoonists to be able to go and tell their stories. Well, well, I am so thrilled to hear that you've taken advantage of Dennis Kitchen and his generosity uh, to come on your show more than once. That is so awesome. He is just like so pivotal and seminal uh, for the history of comics, underground yeah. comics in particular. And the thing that struck me is um, it's a, every time I think about this, I, I, I get ready to cry. The whole, the, what, the key, well, Mary Wings launched uh, the first out, the first comic by an out lesbian that, that was published and, and known about. I'm sure there were others that were not published and not known about. But um, then comes uh, Dennis Kitchen, yeah. a self-described straight man, very, very successful in, in terms of anthologies on different uh, kinds of uh, genre and themes and from the underground comic scene. And he wakes up one day and he decides that, hey, I've done all these comics about, you know, potheads and, you know, <laughs> and this and that. And what's missing from when I look on my shelf, what's missing is the voice of the LGBTQ um, comics. Indeed. Because there weren't any, because everybody was really frightened in, in the 70s. And in 1980, he reached out to Howard Cruz and he said, hey, I think you're queer. <laughs> Not then. They didn't use the word queer then. I think you're gay. Yeah. Uh, how would you like to be the editor of the first anthology of gay comics? And thus began the whole story at that moment. And when you think about the fact that it took a straight man to be comfortable enough to say, hey, there's this piece missing from our uh, representation of ourselves, of the world that I, you know, that we all inhabit. Let's do something to change that and, and fill in the gap. I just feel like that is such an important reminder that we are all in this together, you know, and um, it's not just about queer people telling queer stories, you know, though, though that's obviously, you know, vital. But uh, oh, absolutely. We all help each other out and getting a leg up in the world, I guess, is what I'm saying. I understand. And that is that has been my uh, experience uh, going beyond a reader to discover the workings of comics beyond DC and Marvel and Image and some of the bigger publishers that there's uh, there really has been this strong independent underground movement. And uh, yeah, I mean, no, uh, Dennis gets it and gets it across the board and also understands uh, the needs for um, uh, retaining rights to your, your comics. He was never a guy that, uh, God, there's uh, Saul Vance, the guy who, um, uh, I, uh, uh, the public, like, oh, man, what a great guy. He made the English patient uh, film. You're talking about Saul Vance, you mean my former landlord here in Berkeley, California? No way. No way. Wow. I am, I am seated right now in a building that used to be known as the Fantasy Film Building. Okay, fantasy. And, and the building got built because of the success of Credence Clearwater Revival and all those gold records. The oh, two, and then they built the two-story building. And then they added, they made a seven-story building based on the success of the English patient. And the poor people, not the poor people, the ridiculous group of men who created, you know, the uh, fantasy record label and uh, the fantasy uh, uh, film company, they 
they uh, really did their best to screw the musicians, you know, that they were recording. So Creedence Clearwater Revival is that famous uh, incident that you're talking about. I'm, oh, so, I'm so tickled. Glad you know. I'm so glad you know, Vivian, and you told the story a lot better than I could have. Absolutely. John Fogarty of CCR, who made all that amazing music, uh, Saul Vance kind of held on to the rights of that. And so many record uh, producer uh, labels and uh, different companies, publishers, would just be, hey, great, you know, well, it's ours now. And, uh, you know, yeah, we paid you that, you know, mythical $500 for uh, your comic, and that's about all you're going to make, and we're going to make millions following. Uh, yeah, yeah. To totally unethical. He was a nice guy to us, our t the tenants. Well, that's good to hear. All right, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> but he was such a bastard, you know, as a, well, as a producer. Yeah, I mean, again, that was that was just the way things were. And Dennis was one of those guys that's like, yeah, I'll keep the rights for three years, five years. And then after that, they go back to you. And wow. if you want to go back to press, uh, more power to you. I didn't know that about Dennis. I'm going to send him a note. Wow. <laughs> lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, no, that's great. And again, um, just what came from uh, Dennis's efforts. And then, of course, uh, these cartoonists did find homes at the Gay Advocate and uh, other uh, other gay publications, um, you know, which is which is great. It is so interesting, too. And you uh, spell this out in the documentary that there's a boom and bust in the area of queer comics, much like straight comics had the same issue at the same time. I mean, there was this crescendo in the 90s where all of a sudden after things were going right, great, where there was this huge bust period, even Marvel Comics was on the verge of bankruptcy. Uh, you know, and I mean, so it, it, it again, it's it, it there's it's a familiar story, uh, taking nothing away from the personal stories that your documentary shows of these car cartoonists. But I think also uh, a straight audience will apps and certainly a straight comics audience will uh, see that, hey, everybody kind of went through the same thing. And also that for the most part, uh, the comic business, including the queer comic business, is a giving business and everyone's there to help each other. Right. Well, actually, it was enormously uh, important to me to uh, really go into detail and include the story about the boom and bust. Because I wanted people to understand that here's this artist like Alison Bechtel, MacArthur Genius Award recipient. Her book, uh, Fun Home, was on the New York Times bestseller list for almost a year. Uh, somebody then gets the silly idea to convert it into a musical. 
and it goes on Broadway and it win the, the performance wins more Tony Awards than any other prior musical has. Success, success, success. But there you see in the film, Allison telling the story that, you know, at the turn of the century, it, at, at near 2000, she was ready to throw in the towel because she wasn't able to support herself as an artist. And I just feel like, and then things change, you know, her luck changed because of uh, the tap on the shoulder and, and some and some advice from a wise person. And she wisely listened <laughs> to that person, or luckily, it's probably luck. Um, and her fortune changed completely. I think that is so vital uh, a message to give to artists today, young artists, that it isn't necessarily a linear um, progression. And that sometimes there are setbacks in the road and there often, there always will be hurdles to overcome. And here's examples of artists who face those, some of those, you know, same hurdles, different ones also, and manage to, you know, go on with their lives in, in different ways. And I think that's vital, a vital message for young artists today uh, to understand. And independent creators of all mediums. I, I so agree. And in fact, certainly during COVID, uh, that was a recurring theme as I spoke to uh, people that work for DC and Marvel and and then main, mainstream comics, uh, but also uh, people that were doing independent comics. And it's like, how are you handling this? And I mean, it's just like any walk of life. Uh, COVID was debilitating in some, for some creative people and paralyzing in some ways. Others were resourceful and like, well, I can't rely on Publisher X to provide me with work, what other opportunities? And you made this film prior to COVID. And yes. that's great because this is the general story of queer comics. Um, did you have you have you spoken to any of them and what their experiences have been uh during during the COVID period? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. Well, you know, John, if I were as talented an interviewer as you, I would have gone back and asked them that question. It's a very good for it's a very interesting question. I have been in touch with everyone over over this time for various reasons, um, uh, not the least of which is to keep them posted on our progress and let them know about the uh, P national PBS broadcast <laughs> or and plus the uh, the premiere at the. Uh, Tribeca Film Festival, no less. But wow. I haven't asked them specifically about the impact of COVID um, on them and their work. I suspect a certain number of them will say that they put it to good use, that they have an introspect, not, what's the word, kind of like antisocial part of them that makes them happy to be sitting in at their, you know, drawing table. Sure. And creating art, as opposed to being go, being distracted with day to day stuff, and going to you know dinner and parties with friends. Uh, yeah. So I think the most of most artists put the isolation. Well, not most. A lot of artists that I know put the isolation of COVID to good use. Vivian, I'm sorry. Did I? I hope I did mention at the beginning that uh, No Straight Lines is now a PBS documentary that uh, you can see on your local stations. And also, you were telling me off the air that it is uh, available to to stream on uh, the uh, PBS websites that, uh, again, you can you can enter for free. If people haven't used it before, I've done it for various uh, PBS documentaries. Uh, WTTW here in Chicago is our local station, and uh, it will allow you access to the programming and stuff. It's uh, And it's interesting. You were telling me, too, you were kind. You sent me the unedited version that uh, you know, uh, uh, all, all the all the nudity is is intact 
in uh, the version that I got to see. You might see some blurring or some uh, uh, strategic spots where uh, nipples and the like are. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that word. We we uh, we had to do a lot more uh, covering up of uh, exposed body parts than I anticipated. You know. Um, yeah. No kidding. Yeah. PBS is is uh, is part of the um, is a broadcaster as opposed to sure. just on the internet, certainly like Netflix and HBO, and so they're beholden to FCC regulations. And PBS has their own set of regulations that are that exceed the FCC because they they're uh, they get funding from Congress, yeah, and they yeah. get attacked right all the time by people who would prefer to have arts not funded. I know, um, I know. So, but I try, here's what I, here's the deal. When I knew, I, when, when they, when PBS approached me and asked to include the film in the independent lens series, uh, I at first balked because I was aiming for Netflix and Hulu and HBO. Sure. Apparently the film is too in your face for those people. Really? And when we got rejected by all of them, all the big wow. streamers, Wow. PBS came, saw that and came back a second time and said, hey, we still are interested. Uh, we just, you have to conform the images and the uh, audio to FCC regulations. And I asked all the artists, who the, I asked the five main artists how they felt about it. And they all said, we hate the idea of covering up any, of making any changes to our work, but uh, we love the idea of the story reaching two to three million viewers, which is kind of awesome when you think about it. Absolutely. So with their blessings, uh, I did go ahead and I like to say I I uh, put on digital fig leaves <laughs> over, <laughs> over certain body parts and certain words. And, you know, I, sh I, I it was first uh, shown uh, Monday night on national public television. Not all stations show at the same time. And I watched it with a bunch of friends who hadn't seen the um, FCC OK version. And they all said, you know, we missed a couple of words. We, we certainly understood what some of the covered words were probably. But nonetheless, we got it didn't in, impede in figuring out, you know, the meaning of it all. And, you know, it, it, it worked. And they actually um, they like the idea that instead of making it discreet, kind of a, a, a gentle blur, black and white to fit into the black and white comics when they, when they are black and white. Yeah. Um, I actually went the opposite way. I decided to make it very blatant and very make it uh, known to the viewer this is an intentional altering of the artist's work. And um, I, I wanted to put it to good use to make a statement rather than to obscure the fact that we are changing the artist's work. But, you know, just the fact of zooming in on, on a section of an artist's work, that's me editing. Sure. You know, that's an edit right there. That's me making a statement about their work of a certain kind. Uh, so it's a complicated deal doing a documentary film uh, on the subject of uh, graphic art. Anyone who uh, is a fan of comics appreciates when we see process and how the artists do it. And that's the another great thing about this. You see Howard at the draft board. You see all of them. You know, here's here's Allison at her at her draft board, and you know Howard in his studio. Uh, it it is wonderful to see, and you literally do see them putting the pen to paper 
and uh, inking and uh, was it was it uh, Jen that was talking? I forget, or maybe it was Allison who talked about how they they start doing pencils and then they erase and then they go back and they ink and and that's where the magic happens. And that again, it's it, that is a universal cartoonist comment and feeling and you convey it so well and they convey it so well and we literally see it happening we see the art happening that's fantastic so i think it's worth those unfortunate uh agreements that you have to concede to uh to tell the general story and I, and i again i i can only imagine because i'm glad i saw the unedited version but i i do think it's an important story and it wait a minute this blows my mind that uh hulu Netflix. I there's all right. There's a very uh, there's a puerile website called Mr. Skin. I don't know if you're aware of it. They actually do cater to the gay audience as well, the queer audience as well. Uh, but that said, the amount of television and streaming television that is as graphic and blatant as it gets. Uh, I mean, we'll look at look at HBO with shows like Euphoria <laughs> and some of the other shows, you know. And yet these streamers are. Uh, like, oh, I don't know. That's a little in your face. Really? That's fascinating. That is a Well, yeah, only one only one of them said that to me directly. You know, there's various polite ways of saying no. Sure. Um, <laughs> but it's so curious, John, that you named Euphoria, because that's the example I'm always giving, that full frontal male nudity of a show that has won so many awards. Yes. Uh, but, you know, uh, PBS is... is um, I'm grateful to PBS for, dare I say, having the balls, or in this case, having the ovaries, <laughs> you know, to take it on. Because even even with you know the the digitized fig leaves, it's still an in-your-face piece. Sure. And um, uh, in an age when just saying certain words has become taboo, you know, the ban on trying to a ban on the word gay, and the ban on trans people, and the ban on. Uh, the censorship of books. One of the young artists in the film, Maya Kobabe, has a book, Gender Queer, uh, a graphic memoir that is the most censored book in America today. Yeah. I mean, the most. And I promise you, there is nothing, <laughs> nothing in there except uh, a, a, an attempt for a person to describe their feelings. And and that's another thing that I think comes through in the documentary. You talk about the creators talk about how um, parents are buying these books to help their children understand as they understand their own sexuality, uh, what they who they are. And and again, this is this is really great stuff. And no, I, I do know that sad story. And uh, and also the tightrope that PBS has to walk to get public funding and and certainly government funding. We're we're sadly aware of uh, the pressure uh, that uh, Congress and the like can put on, why are we paying for the arts? Uh, and it, again, it is such a, it, isn't that strange? I mean, we're the, one of the freest countries in the world and, and the, the hypocrisy when it comes to the arts and not supporting the arts and not just uh, queer voices, but just the arts in general. I remember uh, the great Tony Randall, the great comedian who was such an advocate for, for public uh, support of the arts. And oh, he wow, just, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and he created a, a theater company in New York that uh, that was privately funded. And you know, now anytime he was raising money, he would you know point out again the sad the sad fact that so many other enlightened countries, of course, they sponsored the arts. 
of course they, you know, promoted funding for the arts. It is what it is. Thank God. Uh, hey, God, you guys on your own, uh, your Kickstarter campaign, raising the money for this very documentary, you raised over $41,000, am I right, to, uh, mm-hmm. to make the movie? Yes, and let me also uh, footnote that it ranged from literally $1 to I think the biggest donation was $3,000, and every single dollar was put to good use. <laughs> it's a great-looking movie, truly, Vivian. You did a hell of a job. It's uh, it's great. And also, you mentioned Tribeca. Uh, the, the documentary has won a few awards, hasn't it? Yeah, I've been really quite touched by the reception to the film. It's, you know, I knew that the queer community would love uh, the story. Uh, I knew that the comics community would, many people would be interested in the story. And I had zero expectation that the film would be embraced by uh, the most prestigious of the film festivals um, like Tribeca. So uh, it shows that if you do something with... um, with the goal of having it be uh, uh, have a long shelf life and not just superficial, but really, it's it. I think it's because it's more than just the who did what encyclopedia. Uh, it's really I, my my goal is to have it be more like a novel where you have different chapters and different stories that are that and different events that unfold and where that's more of an emotional ride than informational. Right, information can be gotten, especially now, uh, by the push of a button on the internet. Um, so my goal in doing the film was to take the audience into a world uh, with an emotional connection that they otherwise wouldn't normally know anything about. Well, and also much like yourself telling me that you're uh, a tenant, you were a tenant of Saul Vance, and you know that story so well. It was it was great to see. I had no idea that Howard Cruz was at Stonewall the infamous incident in New York that uh, prompted uh, gay advocacy on a a bigger scale and led to things like the gay pride parades that happened in every major city. Uh, I I remember explaining to my younger uh, cousins, why, why is gay pride parade in June? Well, this thing happened in the, in New York uh, in the late sixties. And, and I didn't have the correct information. It was great to hear Howard's depiction and that Howard himself was there. Yeah, he was there high on acid. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he he remembered enough. He remembered enough. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, in the film, when you see this older guy, he was the guy I was describing earlier uh, in our conversation, you know, the balding head and the paunch uh, stomach. You know, when audiences come to that section of the film, they hear, they they see this guy talk about, this is the art that I created when I, at the period when I was high on acid. Everybody hells with laughter. <laughs> well, again, I mean, under I mean, that's part of underground comics, as as you say in the in the documentary. Uh, that's the the place that you could buy underground comics was in head shops. So yeah, man, I mean, it's, that's where you bought your bong. That's where you, you <laughs> bought your one hitter, all your paraphernalia and everything. And but a younger generation doesn't think about older generation as smoking dope and doing, you know, dropping acid and you know, that kind of stuff. You think of them as just old and other. Actually, that's right. one of the things, if I can just add a little a footnote to something we talked about earlier. Um, because you were talking about how how cool it was that the uh, young generation of artists in the film were 
saying how little they knew about their history and how grateful they were for the folks who went before them. Yes. I, I just want to add how much that surprised me because when I grew up, when I was in my early 20s, um, the notion was that you don't trust older people and that they vote more conservatively, for example, and that their ideas are more limited. They're kind of, you know, outdated and we're hip and young and we're the future. And so I expected that kind of a tone of dismissiveness of, of the older artists and dismissiveness of, you know, the past and we are facing the future generation. And I was so touched to be wrong. Uh, I was so touched by how appreciative uh, these artists were. And, and uh, I just didn't expect that at all. I understand. And uh, uh, man, again, I learned so much. Uh, I, I did not know who Rupert Kinnard was and uh, Jesus, the shame on me because uh, a guy who grew up here in Chicago where, where I'm, where I'm broadcasting from and to hear his story as one of the through lines of the documentary is, is really amazing. Um, great story. I mean, that's the thing. All the, all of these people have such wonderful stories that again, contribute to the whole of uh, the history of queer comics, but their own individual stories, I think are relevant. And, and again, um, and, and I don't, I, I keep saying this and I don't want, I don't mean to say it to separate uh, the subject of it being about the queer lifestyle and, and what they were able to accomplish, but it's a universal story in a lot of ways. And I think that's terrific. Well, you know, that's actually what captured my heart. Um, when I, when Howard was doing his presentation at that conference, he, I think it was the keynote. Um, and he talked, he showed one uh, comic that he had done, one strip. And it was about somebody who, a young guy wrote coming to the family. Uh, one snowy, dark, snowy night, he went outside and put it in the mailbox and then immediately felt regret. Oh my God, what have I done? I wish I hadn't sent that letter. And could I reach in and take that letter out of the U.S. mailbox? And um, I went, my goodness. Don't we all have, ha haven't we all had that sense of regret and remorse at either having sent an email that we wish we hadn't or um, said something to somebody that we wish we hadn't or done something, you know, at that sense of regret and remorse, I just felt like, oh, that's what we all share. And if, if I can do a film that captures the feelings that we all share um, or that many of us share, then that would be an awesome uh, way to kind of like normalize what it is to be a queer person in the U.S. I agree. Absolutely. I didn't know. Uh, and it's again, I, I still read DC and Marvel books. I didn't know that Ivan Velez uh, a was gay. I, I wasn't aware of his Marvel work. There he is wearing a Black Panther T-shirt, and and you see a bit of it. Cena Grace uh, is is in the documentary as well, and Cena's a wonderful Marvel writer who's written. Uh, they they have gone back and taken a couple characters uh, and and uh, rewritten them. Like like Cena had Iceman, one of the X Men, and X Men uh, and I, Bobby Drake. Iceman is now a gay character. Um, you know they've done it in the Batman family. Um, Tim Drake, one of the Robins, is now non-binary and of course superman's son is uh is bisexual i believe you know yeah bisexual. yeah yeah yes, it's made quite a scandal even it's even yes, reached the front page of the new york times oh yeah oh yeah it was quite the scandal oh yeah fox fox news made a meal of it unfortunately 
(laughs) That's a great line. (laughs) Sad, but true. Uh, yeah, no. actually, I met I met Cena for the first time at that conference. He was one of the people standing in the circle around Howard. Only funny thing enough, I thought when I looked at him before I met him, I met I saw him standing there. I thought, oh, he's he's like the GQ gentleman. And little did I know <laughs> how later on I was so soon to discover that oh, he's much more complicated than that. <laughs> lucky Land Casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Great guy. Another friend of mine uh, that didn't make it in the documentary, I don't know if you're aware of him, Steve Orlando is his pen name. And uh, he's done a lot of uh, writing for both DC and Marvel. He's a bisexual gentleman and uh, and and a very accomplished writer. And, you know, that's the thing. A lot of times, God, uh, Joan Hilty, there's a brief picture of her in the bathtub with, I want to say, uh, Allison. No, not Allison. Is yes, it Janet? Yes, Al- yes, Allison oh. and Jen Camper. Okay, and, it is Allison. Video and Jen. taken in uh, 1990, I think. They were babies. <laughs> well, and and I've admired Joan's editing at DC and Vertigo Comics for years, and she edits uh, or edited two of my favorite people in comics, Greg Rucka and his wife, Jen Van Meter, and I just knew her again from her work, and I'm like, oh, that's, I'm like, oh, I didn't know Joan, Joan was gay. I'm like, wait a minute, and apparently, yes, of course Joan is gay, and shame on me. I haven't heard had her on Word Balloon yet, but I've got to have her on about her own comic book. I just oh, that would be that would it. be so awesome to, to oh, yeah. get her on. I would love to hear what she says about her career. No, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm gonna have to. Uh, Greg and Jen are, are really good friends, and I, and I, I've told them in the past to uh, make that connection for me. And now, after seeing the movie, even more so. I'd um, be happy to introduce you to her. Oh, it would be. Oh my God, Vivian, that would be great. Totally. truly, and some of the others that uh, that you have here in the in the uh, in the documentary. And again, I'm just so glad that you got Howard. I mean, literally, I don't know when you finished filming, but he died in 2019. Yeah. Let so me, I, let me, let me just stop you there. If you don't mind and please. say that he passed away Sunday night in uh, 2019 and the plan had been in the hospital, but the plan had been for him to leave the hospital that afternoon, go uh, home. And on Monday at morning, watch the film from his hospital, from uh, the hospital that they brought into the house. And sadly, he never got to see. It wouldn't have been the final film. He was going to watch uh, a good rough cut of the film, and it breaks my heart that he never got to see it. Absolutely, I'm, I'm assuming his partner did get to see it. Yes, that's wonderful. That's great. No, you you really. And again, it's you know the the home life that you show of him and of Rupert as well. It just shows that people are people, you know, you got to eat breakfast. You might want to eat breakfast in front of the TV, watching the news. You might not, <laughs> you might have a dog looking out the window or you might not, you might have a cat, you know, going between your feet or looking out the window, you know. Howard and his partner, uh, uh, watching, uh, TV and having their little TV trays out and stuff. It reminded me of, uh, Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner, uh, on that comedians in cars getting coffee that uh, Jerry Seinfeld shot. And the two of them, and certainly even my elder uh, relatives and stuff, how they how they camp out 
in front of the TV with their meals and stuff. I will I will not tell Eddie Howard's partner that. <laughs> that will be <laughs> that will be our secret. <laughs> yeah, I can appreciate that definitely. Is so is there a graphic novel as well of No Strain Lines? Uh, no, what it is, it's a uh, it's an anthology of uh, queer comic books. Oh, excuse but, me, uh, but yeah, that's what I meant actually. Yeah, that. Yeah, it's an anthology. But but uh, Justin is working on um, a personal graphic memoir. I think it's part memoir, part fiction, uh, and I think it's I think it's due to come out in twenty twenty five. Oh, great! So he's busy, busy meeting some deadline for an editor, and um, that's going to be an awesome publication because his artwork has really, in these five six years that we've been collaborating on the film, uh, his artwork has just really soared. Is this uh, is this uh, visual I'm showing now? Is that Justin's artwork there? Uh, no, that's art that he commissioned for the cover of the book. It's Maurice Fellencoop, who's a Canadian, brilliant Canadian artist. Uh, okay, love love that work. That's great. Will there be a DVD of the documentary? Uh, yes, but um, I'm, it's so curious that you are asking that. Uh, do you find that a lot of your audience uh, is eager to have a DVD? Yes, I am. I, I've spoken to other uh, documentarians that have covered comics. Uh, a, a friend, uh, Maria Carbonaro, uh, made a wonderful, actually a, an interesting story. Uh, Jeffrey Jones, who became Jeffrey Catherine Jones and transgender, you know, transitioned to being a woman before uh, uh, she passed away. She, she, and it was very, she is a very interesting story. Better Things, The Life of Jeffrey Catherine Jones is the title of this documentary. It's out through Kino Lober. Are you kidding? Oh, wow. No, absolutely. Kino Lober distributes it. And it's a great story because uh, she referred to herself and her comics career, she would refer to herself as Jeffrey. And when she spoke of that part of her life, it was okay to refer to her as Jeffrey then. And, and she was a very significant fantasy artist of uh, the 70s and was shared a studio in New York with uh, luminaries that you may or may not know these names, Michael Kaluta and um, uh, Barry Windsor Smith and, um, oh God, Swamp Thing. Uh, shame on me. I can't think of his name right now. Shame on me. One of the one of the co-creators of, uh, of Swamp Thing. And uh, amazing fantasy work, beautiful stuff. And then, um, and was married too to um, Walt Simonson's wife, Louise Simonson, who was a very important uh comic book writer and artist or and uh, an editor uh then he uh he he was in a relationship with gilbert gilbert shelton i believe back in the day who a gentleman who was also a bisexual gentleman um very interesting life and uh yeah that's great and also will eisner there's a wonderful documentary about him so yeah i think um yeah that is on dvd and i and i think uh no, I do think there is a buying audience for for a DVD. I hope you guys uh, make that choice. Yeah, no, we actually did make it, but we didn't make a fancy uh, cover for the DVD. And now, listening to you, I will. <laughs> Are there commentaries on the DVD? Uh, no, we See, I'm going to bug you to do that too. No, but um, <laughs> no, but that's actually an interesting idea. Thank you very much for the suggestion. Like the director's uh, commentary. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I bet you guys, and also. Uh, man, all right. See, I'm, I'm I'm already making you go back and uh, make a special edition because uh, I don't know if you include any raw interviews uh, that you know beyond the completed documentary and stuff right. to, or, or more material. I was actually going to do that and put it on the website, but um, it's an idea to if we do uh, an expanded DVD that we certainly would include some of that. 
or any podcasting or any elements of audio where, where you're just doing your interviews and stuff? I mean, any, any beyond the visuals? Cause again, the visuals are amazing. You know, well, the audio, it's kind of interesting. You being, a, you know, an audio person, um, by the way, you have a great radio voice. Ah, thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, the audio for the film is, you know, is part of what has made the film as rich as it is. Uh, as a filmmaker, I happen to know that it's the soundtrack that is the most important part of the film. Content, of course. But um, if the image is kind of funky and nuts, and maybe the colors aren't so saturated, but the sound is pristine and well-developed, uh, that's what gets to an audience. That's what gets to a, it gets directly to the person's heart. And let me point out that we did the sound mix up at the famous Lucasfilm Studios, and where they have this amazing archive of audio. So, for example, in um, Paige Braddock's uh, panel of um, there's a dyke, uh, butch dyke on a motorcycle and luring somebody else on yes. to, um, for a ride. <laughs> And you hear the sound of the motorcycle revving. Well, guess what? On Paige's image, she wrote that it's a Ducati, I think, 72 or 69. And the sound mixer goes, oh, wait a second. And he goes into this amazing, vast library of Lucas sounds. And he found the actual sound of a Ducati motorcycle from that year that we use in the film. Outstanding. There you go. I'm sure some motorcycle aficionado is going to be, man, they nailed it. Very good. That's wonderful to hear. And by the way, speaking of Chicago, where we where uh, Rupert Kennard is talking about growing up in Chicago, we see yeah. images of the elevated uh, train, the L. We are actually hearing the actual sound of the L from that year. That's excellent. <laughs> Outstanding. No, and again, these individual stories will touch everyone's hearts when they see it as well. And, and the universality, but also... Again, the they're, they're separate stories, and then what it was like uh, to be queer, the the times they chose to come out, the difficulties, and and other personal hardships that they persevered through. And I won't I won't tip it because we do want people to watch the documentary. But really, Vivian, well done. I, I really think top to bottom, excellent film. It's on PBS now. It's part of uh, Independent Lens. Yes, if you go to the National PBS website, pbs.org, and click on Independent Lens, it's available for free for the next three months through April 23rd, I think. And after that, it's still available, but to PBS members. And hey, I think it's like six bucks a month for PBS, so it's a, a nice thing to do. Support your PBS station. Indeed. No question. And your PBS or your uh, public radio station as well. Same. Uh, you know, you'll you'll forgive me being the audio guy, but uh, no straight lines. Uh, the story of queer comics, uh, a wonderful documentary now showing through uh, through uh, PBS and independent lens. And very happy uh, to have this conversation today uh, with uh, Vin Vivian Kleiman. Uh, well done, Vivian. Truly excellent job. Uh, I, I really uh, wish you luck with this. Any other uh, projects that you're working on that you wouldn't we would like to telegraph? <laughs> yes, uh, thank you very much. I, I know not right now for in terms of a comics content, but I after uh, spending a lot of time pulling this one across the finish line, uh, I'm going back and doing commissioned work. So a couple of folks are hiring me to do short projects. You know, family history, a portrait of the. Uh, uh, corporate, blah, blah, you know, interesting stories, but uh, paid work that's going to pay the bills. Fantastic. That's great. Well, continued success. 
Thank and you I so much. I certainly <laughs> hope that people will uh, become more aware of your work through this wonderful documentary. Thank you. Thank you so very much. And really, thank you so much for having me on the show and for your kind words. I can't tell you, uh, it really helps replenish a very dry soul <laughs> after, oh, after working in isolation. It's just, it's a joy and a delight. So thank you. So, and thank you for all you're doing. Like you, you have an amazing program here. So you're very awesome. kind. I hope I'm only, I hope I'm one of many that are uh, taking the opportunity to talking to you about this fantastic project. Great. So thanks everybody for watching uh, more great word balloon coming your way very soon until next time. Stay safe, stay happy, stay healthy. Mm -hmm.